Father, here we are in your presence. Lord, forgive us for forgetting that you have promised that when two or three of us are gathered together like this, that you yourself come right here in the midst of us. Oh God, give us a holy reverence for that. Give us a heart to hear your voice this morning. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. We ask that your word would accomplish what you send it for. Lord, that your, your voice would, would be clear to our ears just like Don heard your voice, Father. And that when we hear, we would follow it in faith, knowing that you have all the resources in the universe and that you will do what you have promised that you will do in our lives. Father, increase our faith as we dive into your word together this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I was three years old and I was riding along in the back seat of my parents' car. As we drove along, my parents felt like everything was okay. It was one of those days, maybe it was a day not unlike today, a beautiful day. We were driving along and it didn't seem like anything was wrong. When suddenly a little three-year-old voice from the back seat of the car said, Mommy? Yes, Zach, what's wrong? Mommy? I can't fit my finger up my nose. Zach, what'd you say? I can't fit my finger up my nose. Zach, this is a problem, uh, apparently to you. She turned around and she looked and what she saw was disturbing to her. (laughs) I can only imagine that the disturbance in her heart might have been a little bit of what Jesus and the disciples felt as they walked down the mountain that day. Mark chapter 9 captures the story. You can go there with me in your Bible or we'll have it on the screen in a moment. Mark chapter 9 tells us the story about how Jesus had taken three of his disciples up on a mountain. And as they were there, as they were praying together, Jesus was transfigured before them. Luke tells us that his the the very uh, figure of his face was transformed. Mark tells us that his garments became whiter than anyone could possibly launder them. He was shining in all of his divine glory. And then Moses and Elijah show up next to him. This beautiful moment where the kingdom of God was represented here on earth. But then that moment passed and they're walking down the mountain together. And as they walk down the mountain together, Jesus again warns them of what he kept on warning them in verse 9 of Mark chapter 9. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Wait a second. Risen from the dead? Jesus What are we talking about? You were just on the mountain with Moses and Elijah. Your kingdom's about to be set up. What are you talking about? Death. Jesus, would you stop going there? Verse 10, So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. This troubled the disciples. They wondered, what is Jesus talking about? Why is he so morbid? Why is he talking about his death all the time? We don't understand what he's trying to do. Things 
get even more tense in verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, you see the other nine disciples were down in the valley. They hadn't had that mountaintop experience where they had seen his glory, where they had seen Moses and Elijah. And they have some troubles going on down in the valley. In verse 14, when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around them. That doesn't seem so bad. That seems like it might be a good thing. And scribes disputing with them. There those scribes are, always trying to cause a problem. And now they're arguing with his disciples. Something has gone wrong in this beautiful day. This beautiful morning where Jesus has just revealed His glory. Now suddenly everything seems wrong. Have you experienced that before? You're walking along with Jesus. You're, you're maybe giving to Jesus like Don was. And all of a sudden stuff starts to go wrong in your family's life. Stuff starts to happen and you say, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? Verse 15, immediately... When they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. Why do you think the people were greatly amazed? Here they are, they're disputing, they're having this argument, and all of a sudden they look at Jesus and suddenly their focus changes. The disputing is over and suddenly they're amazed. Could it be that the glory from that moment on the Mount of Transfiguration is still reflecting in Jesus' face? Could it be that even the disciples still have a little bit of that glow from that moment where Jesus had revealed His divine glory? They're amazed and they run up to Him. And then verse 16, He says, okay, let's not get distracted here. And He said, He asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? The scribes are afraid to be embarrassed and they don't even answer Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Jesus, I brought my son to you. I brought him to your followers. I I thought that maybe you could help, but they can't take care of this. Is this too hard of a case for you? Is this too difficult for you? My son, he foams at the mouth. He goes rigid. He convulses on the ground. And then verse 19, this is how Jesus responds. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Oh, faithless generation. Where is your faith? Again and again, Jesus says that to people. Where is your faith? Especially to the disciples. And I believe this especially is addressing the disciples and their lack of faith at this moment. Something has gone wrong because back in Luke, we're told that Jesus had already given his disciples authority to cast out demons. They should have been able to do this thing. And yet they're not. Maybe you've experienced that in your life where God has called you to do something and you aren't able to do it. And you wonder what went wrong. Why am I not able to do? Why am I not able to follow what you've called me to do, God? I don't understand why I keep falling short of your commandments. Have you ever wondered that before? Here the disciples are and Jesus is saying, you faithless generation, how long 
shall I be with you. In the book Patriarchs and Prophets, page 657, it says this. It says, every failure on the part of the children of God is due to their lack of faith. There's something significant about faith. There's something powerful about faith. There's something that changes everything in your life about faith. And throughout history, you find again and again that God did show up to his people. And he said, where is your faith? When they were about to enter the promised land, he couldn't bring them in because of their lack of faith. Again and again, God wanted to do more for his people. But failure after failure was due to their lack of faith. So Jesus says, faithless generation, how long am I going to have to be here? And I imagine there was such compassion in his voice as he said this. Verse 20, then they brought him to him, meaning they brought the demoniac to Jesus. And when he saw him, this is when the demoniac sees Jesus there. Immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. This is a bad case. Here, when this demon comes, this demoniac child comes to Jesus, when the demon sees Jesus, he takes hold of that child, and the child begins to foam at the mouth. He begins to wallow on the ground. This is a bad case that Jesus is facing. And Jesus doesn't just instantly heal this demoniac child. Could he have just spoken a word at that moment and and he would have immediately been healed? Instead, verse 21, he says, So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Lord, this has been happening from, from the time he was a child. This has been a consistent thing in his life. And it's, it's nearly taken his life time and time again. This is a bad situation we're facing here, Jesus. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, Jesus, would you please help us? Please have compassion on us. I'm realizing that faith is based on two things. Faith, in a large way, as we learn in this story, is based on two things. It's based on, number one, believing that God has the power. And number two, believing that he has the compassion, the love to do what he is able to do. Those are two foundational principles in understanding how to have faith in God. To grasp His power, that He's the creator of the universe, that He has all power in heaven and earth, that He's the Lord of hosts, that He has myriads of angels at His command. Grasping that, but also grasping that He's a God of compassion. He's a God of love that wants to enter into your life, into your circumstances, the things that you are facing, and He wants to deliver He wants to be your Savior. He wants to show up for you. Now Jesus responds to the statement of the Father. In verse 23, Jesus said to him, If you can believe. Other uh, manuscripts actually kind of have it like saying, If you can, kind of an exclamation or a question. uh, A moment of, of unbelief at unbelief. As Jesus looks at him, he says, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who 
believes. If you just believe. And what is he telling him to believe in? Is he telling him to believe in the, the fact that demons can leave his child? Is he, is he telling him? He's telling him to believe in his ability to deliver that child. Wasn't that what the father was doubting? The father was saying, if you, Jesus, can do anything, if, if you would have compassion on us, then deliver this child. And, and Jesus is saying, if you can believe in me, if you believe that I am who I say that I am, if you'll just believe in me, then all things are possible for you. In the publication Review and Herald, October 18, 1898, It says the knowledge of what the Scripture means when urging upon us the necessity of cultivating faith is more essential than any other knowledge that can be acquired. To understand how to have faith, how to live a life of faith is more important than any other possible knowledge that you and I could have. So what we're talking about today is important. It's life or death. We have to understand, what is Jesus talking about here? What does he mean for us to exercise faith? How can we too exercise faith? And I love the response of the father. In verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He recognized that he did believe. That's why he brought the child to begin with. He had brought the child to Jesus because he he believed to an extent. But he also recognized that in his heart there was unbelief. And you might be recognizing that this morning. Yeah, God, I do believe. I'm here in church. I'm keeping the Sabbath. I'm trying to follow you. But there's still this, this unbelief in my heart. Jesus responds to this kind of faith. When the father cries out like this, Jesus doesn't push him away and say, well, wait, wait until you don't have any unbelief. But Jesus immediately responds to that cry, I believe, help my unbelief. And he responds like this in verse 25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out and convulsed him greatly and came out of him and he became as one dead so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. What a beautiful moment. This desperate case comes to Jesus. The father doesn't even have enough faith, but he says, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus reaches down and touches those lives and changes them forever. Jesus wants to do the same thing in your life and in my life. In the book Desire of Ages, page 429, it quotes from this story. It says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us in helping us, quoting the Father. And then it says this, how many a sin-burdened soul has echoed that prayer? And to all, the pitying Savior's answer is, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. It is faith that connects us with heaven and brings us strength for coping with the powers of darkness. In Christ, God has provided means for subduing every sinful trait and resisting every temptation, however strong. You have a powerful and merciful Savior. 
1 John chapter 5 and verse 4 says, This is the victory that has overcome the world, even your faith. There's power in believing in who Jesus is as your Savior, as your Redeemer, as an all-sufficient Savior, one who can accomplish all the things that concern you in your life. It's interesting because not long after this, the disciples are really excited about their newfound capability of casting out demons. Go over to Luke chapter 10. This is in Luke chapter 9. It records the same story about this demoniac child having the demon cast out. And then in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 70 and he also sends them out to heal diseases and to cast out demons. When they come back, they say something interesting in verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They say, Lord, finally the demons are responding. The demons are being cast out. They, when we say the name of Jesus, there's power in the name of Jesus and the demons flee. Jesus responds in verse 18 and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Then he says this, verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Really? Do not rejoice in this? Do not rejoice that the serpents, the demons, that they can't do anything to me? Why shouldn't I be rejoicing in this? Shouldn't this be a huge cause for rejoicing? Shouldn't I be very excited that I can cast demons out and that I don't have to worry about any evil thing hurting me? Apparently not. Jesus goes on to say, don't rejoice about this. But what does he go on to say that we should rejoice about? Nevertheless, do not rejoice about this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Friends, this is what really matters in our lives. We're called to do ministry. We're called to reach this world for him. We're called to experience protection in our lives and that God promises us protection in our lives. But far more important than that is that our names are written in the book of life. Far more important than casting out demons is casting out the burden of sin in our lives. You know, we may be sitting here this morning and feeling like we don't have the problems that the demoniac had. I don't know how many of you were foaming at the mouth this morning or wallowing on the floor, uncontrollably convulsing, but I don't think you'd probably be here this morning. Maybe some of you do have a physical condition that that has caused you to have something like that, and I'm not here to, to downplay that in the least bit. But many times we come to church, we go through the motions, and we feel like we're okay, like, like things are all right. The disciples felt like this, but Jesus kept challenging them with throwing this thing out there that that he was about to go to the cross and he was trying to prepare them. He was trying to increase their faith and I believe he's trying to do the same thing for you and I in the times that we're facing in this world. As my mom looked to the back seat, she wondered what it was that was bothering me. I think the first thing on her mind was, why are you trying to put your finger up your nose? Somebody had taught me this, and so I was, had learned to, to do this, and she had to unlearn me of that. But as she looked back, and she saw me trying to put my finger up my nose, and I said, my finger just won't fit up my nose, she noticed that there was a problem. 
my finger was all red and swollen. And then she said, let me see the, your finger, Zach. And she, she took a closer look at it. There was this red line that was running up my arm from my finger. And she immediately recognized something. This three-year-old has blood poisoning. This three-year-old has far bigger problems than not being able to stick his finger up his nose. Sometimes in my life, I'm distracted by the little problems that I'm facing about how to handle situations in life. And God's saying, just realize that your salvation, your name being written in the book of life is the most valuable thing to you. That was a life-threatening condition. She rushed me to the emergency room. They were thankfully able to take care of the, the blood poisoning. And, but if it had gone on unchecked, if, if she had just ignored it, if I had just ignored it and decided, well, I'll just forget about ever putting my finger up my nose again. I'm not encouraging you to do that. But I could have died. Sin is a serious problem. Sometimes we like to downplay it. Sometimes we begin to ignore it. Sometimes we forget that sin separates us from Jesus, our very best friend. And Jesus isn't okay with that. Jesus wants to have a closeness with you and I. And so Jesus in this story is trying to teach them about faith and He's trying to teach them about a faith that will grasp the bigger unseen realities. A faith that will grasp the reality of our great high priest in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary who's seeking to make sure that our names are written in the book of life. Salvation is huge. Salvation is everything for you and I. And Jesus wants our eyes fixed on the prize. Back in Matthew chapter 17, again, a place in the Gospels where this story has been recorded about the demoniac, Jesus encourages his disciples to faith afterwards because when Jesus casts out this demon, they say, well, Jesus, why weren't we able to do that? We don't understand why you were able to do this. What, what did we do wrong? You've told us that we should be able to do this. But in chapter 17, verse 19 the disciples come to Jesus privately. They say, why could we not cast it out? Verse 20 says, so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Because the disciples had lost sight of Jesus. They had forgotten who Jesus was. They had their, their minds fixed on doubt. They had their minds fixed on a lot of different things. Everything except for Jesus and his saving power. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. If you just have faith like a mustard seed, mountains will move for you. But sometimes we don't even recognize the mountains in our lives. Or sometimes we're okay with the mountains in our lives. We kind of enjoy climbing them and attempting to climbing them. And, and we fail at climbing them. And yet, we just keep on keeping the mountains in our life. But look at Micah chapter 7. This is what God has promised to do for those mountains in our lives. Micah chapter 7 and verse, I believe it is 19. Jesus gives this incredible promise to us. Sorry, verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, 
passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. What an incredible God. We need to fix our eyes on the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, because this builds our faith. But then it goes on. It doesn't just stop there. In verse 19, it says, He will again have compassion on us, and He will subdue our iniquities. I love that language. Do you have sins in your life that you struggle with? Things that you are sick and tired of continuing to stumble over in your life. You don't understand why you have that tendency towards, maybe it's something small, something as small as as overeating and how it's affecting your health. Maybe it's something bigger like the lies that you keep telling to your boss or your coworker. Maybe it's unfaithfulness with your taxes. Maybe you struggle with pornography. And you hate these things. You want these things to be gone out of your life. And you say, God, I want to follow you. And then you go on trying and trying and trying. And you find out that you keep falling so short. The promise of God to you here. I will subdue your iniquities. Jesus wants to subdue your iniquities. And then look at what he wants to do with them. I will subdue your iniquities. You will cast all of our sin into the depths of the sea. Friends, that is the greatest mountain, the greatest challenge in our life is the sin that separates us from God. And God has promised that he wants to subdue that. He hates it because it separates us from him. It, it causes us not to see his love, not to see his beauty. The devil has deceived us in so many ways and he promises that he's going to subdue that. He's going to take it and he's going to cast it into the depths of the sea. What an incredible God. But in order for that to take place, I believe we need to follow what Jesus has said back here in Matthew chapter 17. What did he say? He said, anything is possible for us if what? If we have faith, faith like a mustard seed. Let's read it again. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Picture that sin in your life. Picture that thing that is separated from you, you from God. Or picture that thing that is, has hurt your family members as you've been unloving, as you've lost your temper. Whatever it might be in your life that you've struggled with again and again. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us need the victorious power of Jesus. All of us need to be led in that path of victory. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith, as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. God is longing to bring us to a place of increased faith. You know, the problem is that we go out and we hear inspiring things from God. We, we read the Ten Commandments and we say, yes, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to keep the Sabbath. I'm going to be in church every Sabbath. I'm going to even go to Sabbath school. But the Bible tells us something. Romans 14 verse 23 says that apart from faith, everything is sin. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Isaiah tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. 
without faith in Jesus and who He is as a Savior, it does not matter if you're keeping every one of the Ten Commandments. You won't be able to anyway. In Revelation, when it describes the people who stand in the end, it says, here are those who keep the commandments of God and what? Have the faith of Jesus. Their faith is in Jesus. They have that same faith that Jesus had. They have that connection with heaven that faith alone can give them. Jesus wants to lead us in a path of victory. There's a lady in South Korea by the name of Siwoo. Siwoo didn't grow up knowing about the saving power of Jesus. Siwoo grew up in a Buddhist society and she had headaches from the time she was a child. Severe headaches that she suffered with. They took her to doctors. The doctors didn't know how to help her. As she got older, the headaches just kept getting more intense and they simply wouldn't go away. But she managed to live a fairly ordinary life. Eventually, she got married. She had two children. But still, she had these intense headaches that just wouldn't go away. She would sometimes go to the Buddhist monastery and she would ask them if there's anything that they could do. If, if maybe she could join the monastery and maybe that, that that would bring her the peace from these headaches that she desired. But they wouldn't let her for some reason and they kept sending her away. Then one day, somebody recommended to her that she go and see the local shaman. She went to see this shaman who had the capability, he claimed, of being able to see spirits and deal with spirits. And, and when she walked into the room, the shaman said, before you came in this room, the spirit of a dead child came into this room. It was the spirit of your dead brother. Your dead brother is haunting you causing these headaches because he died of a head injury. You, you had a younger brother who died of a, or you had a brother who died of a head injury. Now, she didn't even know how her brother had died. Her brother had died when she was very young and she had no idea what had taken place that had caused her brother to die. So she listened a little bit longer and he explained to her what she needed to do. But before she would follow what he said she needed to do, she wanted to go and check the facts. And so she went to her mother and she said, so my brother, when he died, what was it that led to his death? She said, well, he, he died of a severe head injury. Well, obviously, she felt that she could trust now this shaman. And so she decided to follow what the shaman had said. And the, the shaman said, you need to become possessed by this spirit. What I need you to do is to pray this prayer. And she gave him, uh, the shaman gave her a hundred day prayer to pray. And also began to tell her what you need to start doing is these cleansing baths in cold water twice a day. And then I want you to start praying in addition to this 100-day prayer, I want you to start praying three hours in the morning and two hours every night asking for these spirits to come into you. She did this for 100 days and at the end of the 100 days, not just one spirit, not just two spirits, but 20 spirits came into this woman and began to possess her. This took care of the headaches for her. She no longer had the headaches, but now she had 20 spirits in her. There were some positive effects of these spirits she felt in that when people would come to her with a problem, she would know what the problem was before they came. 
If somebody was coming to her with a stomach ache, she would get a stomach ache before that person came to her. Or if somebody was coming to her and, and had a, a hurt foot, then her foot would start hurting before that person came. And she would tell the person what their problem was, and then she would tell them the prayers that they needed to be prayed in order to be healed, and somehow they appeared to be healed. As this began to happen more and more, as she began to tell different people also their, their futures and, and what was going to take place in the future for them, people began to flock to this lady. It began to make her a lot of money. She became wealthier and wealthier by this business as she herself became a shaman. But the problem was she wasn't happy. She didn't have the headaches anymore but her life was getting worse and worse. She had other pains and other turmoil in her life. And, and as her life was really spiraling out of control with these evil spirits in her, she began to have what they say was psychosis, where basically she was not seeing things clearly anymore to the point where eventually her husband left with her two daughters. It looked like she'd had her problem solved, but everything had gotten worse. You know, Jesus tells us in John chapter 10 and verse 10, the thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. In 1 John chapter 5, John describes what this is like. And remember, 1 John is the, is the gospel where the beloved disciple the one who drew closest to Jesus, is, is telling the next generation how to have faith in this Jesus. In 1 John chapter 5, John records what it is like to have faith. We read it earlier, verse, verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? When you believe in Jesus, there is overcoming power in your life. Verse 18, jumping down, says this, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Going back to 1 John verse, chapter 3, we pick up a little bit more of this understanding of what John is talking about. In verse 4, it says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. So why was Jesus manifested according to the disciple who walked most closely with Jesus? What does it say? He was manifested to take away our sins. That's why Jesus was manifested. Continuing on in verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning. We may look at Siwoo and say, wow, she had it really bad. She was possessed by evil spirits. We may look at a demoniac child and say, well, at least I don't have those problems that that demoniac child has. But John says that whoever sins, the devil has a hold of him. He has been mastered by the enemy. 
when we let that temper just go on in our life, when we let that lust continue to rule in our life, when we let that unfaithfulness continue to go on in our life, we are submitting to the master that is not the master we want to submit to. We're submitting to the enemy. And Jesus is longing for us to have faith in what he wants to do for us. Because look at the rest of verse 8. For this purpose... Don't miss this. This is beautiful. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus has come. He's come to enter into your life as a complete and full Savior who delivers you from sin, who gives you victory over sin in your life. And that doesn't come by just trying harder. It comes by connecting with Jesus and saying, Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. Increase my faith, Jesus, in who you are, that you will subdue my sins, that you will take them and you will cast them into the depths of the sea. I believe. Help my unbelief. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Friends, we need to be converted this morning. Whether you've been here for 20 years or whether this is your first Sabbath, whether this is your first time really considering giving your heart to Jesus, we all need a deeper conversion this morning. We need a greater faith in Jesus. We need to cry out to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. In Desire of Ages, it goes on to say that there are many who feel that they lack faith. And therefore they remain away from Christ. Let these souls in their helpless unworthiness cast themselves upon the mercy of their compassionate Savior. Look not to self, but to Christ. He who has healed the sick can cast out demons when he walked among men. He is the mighty Redeemer today. Faith comes by the Word of God. Then grasp His promises. Him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. John 6.37 Cast yourself at His feet with the cry, Lord, I believe. Help Thou my unbelief. You can never perish while you do this. Friends, is there beautiful assurance in that this morning? Is there confidence in Jesus in your heart this morning that what you need to do is cast yourself at the feet of Jesus and say, I believe that you came to destroy the works of the devil in my life. I believe, help my unbelief. As Siwu, for 20 years, was developing wealth from these 20 spirits who were filling her, her life was miserable. It was spiraling out of control. Exactly what Jesus had said. The thief was stealing. The thief was destroying in her life. The thief was killing her. And she wasn't having that abundant life that comes only from Jesus. And then suddenly something happened. She got in a severe car accident. She was rear-ended by another car. She was put into the hospital. And she was in the hospital for an entire month. In critical condition at first. She had to stay in the hospital for an entire month. And I'll put up a picture of Siwu. This is what she, she thought as she was there in the hospital. She said that she thought to herself, why can't the gods I served for 20 years protect me? If these gods can't keep me safe, how can I trust in them? Friends, I don't know what it is in your life. 
I don't know what you're trusting in in your life. I don't know what it is that seems so appealing to you that it seems like it's better than Jesus. But all of those things end up so empty. I found that again and again in my life. I've shared before about my addiction to pornography and how God revealed to me that he wanted to be a sin-delivering Savior. I've shared before about my, addiction, my, my struggle with a temper and how I, I used to wound the people around me and how God is a delivering Savior. But in my life today, I don't just want to stop here, but I want to continue to cultivate faith in who Jesus is, that He wants to do greater things, that He wants to take me to a higher experience. How about you? Because all of those things end up so empty. And Si Wu recognized this. She said, this is worthless. The devil is, is a lying deceiver, and, and I hate his works. And so what she did when she got out of the hospital, she had this shrine that was set up to her 20 spirits that were inhabiting her. And she immediately went and she burned the shrine and she denounced those spirits and they actually left her. But then she was just empty and alone and felt so helpless. And she wondered, what should I do? And then suddenly it came into her mind. She remembered that Seventh-day Adventist lady who had come to her and told her about this guy named Jesus. A merciful Savior named Jesus who, who could come into her life and save her from all that she was facing. And she said, I have to find that lady. She went and she found that Seventh-day Adventist lady who years before had told her about Jesus. And she said, can you tell me more about this mighty Savior named Jesus? Maybe there's a greater God out there than these gods that I've been serving. She began to have Bible studies and to learn some of the beautiful truths that you know from the Word of God about what a mighty God we serve, about a sin-subduing God, about a merciful Savior who was lifted up on the cross, who took your sin on Himself so that by, your, by His stripes you could be healed. And as she heard that, everything changed in Siwu's life. And she said, I have to be baptized. I want to follow this Jesus too. And in 2016... Siwu was baptized as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. You can read about it on the Adventist Mission Twitter or, or website. Siwu is now going around South Korea sharing about this mighty Savior named Jesus. Friends, do you have a testimony of what Jesus has delivered you from in your life? He wants to deliver you day by day. He has manifested Himself to destroy the works of the devil. And when we believe... He wants to move those mountains of sin in our life. And he wants to cast them into the depths of the sea. His promises are sure. He will do it for you and for me. As we close, I just want to invite you, if you're able, to just join me in kneeling in prayer. And in that time, kneeling in prayer, I just want to leave some time in silence just for you, number one, to ask that your name would be written in that book of life today. To ask that all of your sin would be cleansed away. 1 John 1.9 promises that if we sin, He is faithful and just. If we confess our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This morning, take the time to confess those sins that have been holding you back from Jesus. To confess them and to turn away from them. And to ask Him in faith to deliver you. Ask Him to take those sins this morning and to cast them into the depths of the sea, a place where you can never find them again. 
ask Jesus for deliverance as your Savior this morning. Maybe you've been coming to this church for years and years and you felt like everything was okay. You've been riding along and you felt like I'm here for Sabbath school. I'm here for church. I know Jesus. But you're realizing that Jesus wants to deliver you too. Don't let this moment pass by. Cry out to Him in faith. I believe. Help my unbelief. Just take some time to lift up your heart to your loving and merciful Savior this morning. Oh Jesus, nothing matters so much as the one thing of knowing you and of knowing that our name is written in the book of life. God, thank you that you have promised that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us and not just to forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, we cling to that in faith. Although we don't always see it clearly in our lives like we want, Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. Father, cast the mountains of sin in our life into the depths of the sea. Bless my friends as they go out this week. Father, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with a holy boldness to live lives of faith. Fix their eyes on Jesus, their merciful, compassionate, and yet all-powerful Savior who desperately wants to deliver them, to save them, to work in their lives. Thank you, Jesus, for walking with us this week. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.